Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. 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 Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Good evening, Khuyanand, Mowene, and a hearty welcome to the Shahida Kali show. I think, let me just say that I'm a little bit nasal, and that's because it seems as if there's a cold brewing or whatever it is that's the matter. We still to find out what's happening. So bear with me in today, tonight's program. This evening we speak with Nuran Osman, who is the director of Ihata Shelter for Abused Women, and we have her on the line. Nuran, assalamu alaikum and welcome to the program. Thank you. Nuran, it's great to speak with you and I think it's so important that we speak with you and highlight the plight of women who are abused and also the work that you do. So perhaps to start off by to ask you a little bit about Ihata Shelter, where it is, what you do, etc. Please. Um, so Ihata Shelter is a shelter for abused women on the Cape Flat mm-hmm. and we shelter women who are abused and their young children. One of our specialities is that we work with women who are abused and have substance abuse issues. Okay. This is unique to our shelter, as most of the other shelters do not allow it. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm aware that uh, often if there is um, substance abuse, that uh, shelters will then refuse that um, a woman would find shelter there. And do you say that you have space even for these women and their children? Yes, we do. Um, on site, we run a, an on site crash. Um, so the mothers are either attending what we call the 90 day program, mm-hmm. which we host in house. It's a, it's a life coaching program yeah. um, and changes women's lives. Yes. Those mothers who are substance abusers um, are taken, driven to the Sultan Bahu Center for a rehab program yes. for about nine weeks and collected in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Meantime, we're caring for their children in a nursery. Our nursery holds children between zero and two years old. Um, and our creche holds children who are two to five years old, where after they are taken to the public schools. If the mother is in the rehab program, it's an outpatient program, but she only gets back late afternoon, we collect the children from school and care for them in our aftercare. Wow, you do stunning work, oh my word. Uh, is one allowed to ask where you are, or is this a place where the address is not to be known? We prefer not to announce uh, okay. the, the Address. Not a problem, Although and so please don't do, don't do so. Catch the two, catch the two yes. situation because often people want to come and visit and donate. Right. But we prefer to just ask people to call the centre first. Sure. 
Sure, and I think, and, and I understand that, hence I, I asked the question. And I'm sure, you know, also the part of the purpose of the program is to ask what help do you need and if there is anyone in the community who could help. And then, of course, they would then, you know, have to find out where you are. Um, I want to ask you, so how many women are you able to fit into your program? We house 25 women and up to 40 children. Mm-hmm. That's that's really wonderful. And would bo- uh, most of these women have substance abuse issues? Uh, not, not usually. We have about, of the 20, we will have about five or six who present with substance abuse, often being taught um, the use of the substance by the abusive partner. Okay. Um, or using the substance to cope with the abusive partner. Mm-hmm. So the majority of women are abused, um, and they stay in the shelter for a period of six months, um, where we try and rehabilitate them, as it were, um, regain confidence. The 90-day program, for example, is something that will build self-esteem, that will look at barriers to growth, barriers to loving, barriers to living a healthy life, barriers to mothering even. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work through all of those. Um, and so there, there is always a substance abuse component, unfortunately, because either yes. she's the substance abuser or is the substance abuser. Yes. And so we also try and do some perpetrator intervention by at least referring the perpetrator to the rehab center. That's really, really wonderful. I always feel and hold the opinion also that one has to work with the perpetrators as well. We need to work with men and women and men instead of just looking at the women and, and trying to intervene. I want to ask your your program. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And you know your life skills um, coaching program and and how you know work in terms of you know um, removing or helping people to remove the barriers. I'm, I'm particularly even interested in you mentioned barriers to loving and loving the children yes the 90-day program starts it has three phases in the beginning it's renunciation so really looking at um, the old life and the old habits and looking at what bothers me and our clients are averagely aged between 18 and 35 Um, it is unfortunate that most of them if not 75 percent of them have been molested or abused or have suffered some sort of trauma in childhood. Um, the second part of, of the program is um, the growth stage, is, is where we teach them the skills. So they'll, they'll do a parenting course, they'll do a discovering the self course, they'll start looking at their own strengths. Um, and the third part of the program is liberation, is where they release all of the past and they create almost a new identity for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our, our program is run by Faisal Porter, who is a life coach and, and teaches them also how to manage energy. Mm-hmm. Some, of the, some of the program is really interesting. And so as a service to the community in the month of February, we'll be offering short seminars for mm-hmm. two hours. We ask the community to just uh, donate a small amount of money and we'll be running similar seminars um, because we've had many people come and ask about the program. Okay. Um, and these the, seminars will, will um, look at? They, they'll look at, at basically the same things, um, how to manifest success and money into your life, for example, um, looking at your past and creating a bright future. Um, it's, it's really all sorts of interesting ideas on how we can live more whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things we do in the center is energy healing, and so we teach it from a, an Islamic perspective. We mm-hmm. teach <clears throat> using allegorical stories. We teach using stories of the prophet and comparing it to our own lives. Mm-hmm. Just like one simple example, 
when we're speaking to the women about their addictions, we yes. say, if Nuh were building his ark, would you be on the ark or off the ark? Mm-hmm. Um, and why? And so they get to explore through stories of the prof- prophets um, which side of, of the ark they are on, for example. Mm-hmm. And so these are Azali ways of reaffirming them and making them know that they're not bad, that they just have had challenges, that they're not broken, that they, they've just had bad experiencing experiences. And then by the in, end of the 90 days, we have a graduation ceremony. Most of these women have never been acknowledged. Most of yes. them have never finished school. Most of them have never had anything that's certificated. Mm-hmm. So we give them a certificate and we spend the day um, dressed up and having a meal and just reaffirming um, them and making them know that they're valuable and that they're worth it. Mm-hmm. It really sounds like a great program. I want for you to speak with me a little bit about when a person comes into the center and and uh, often might just feel like they're struggling with their identity. Who am I? Often people will say, I don't know who I am. It feels like I'm completely lost. I'm absent. Um, tell us a little bit about that and the experiences of these women. When you arrive at the center, you are welcome. There's a welcome pack of toiletries. Um, so we give you um, soap, toothpaste, all of the basic things. Most of the women arrive with nothing on their back. Mm-hmm. Our administrator will also give you um, a welcome clothing pack for both you and your children. Yeah. Our community, alhamdulillah, are exceptionally generous. So oftentimes they would give us um, toiletries, toothpaste, toothbrushes, and even the cute little ones for children. So we're able to make little packs for them. Um, and a clothing pack and a towel and all of those things. You are then given a tour of our center so that you know where to find everything. And typically you're placed in a communal room. There are a few women who get single rooms. It's really moms with very small babies or moms who work and have to go out early in the morning mm-hmm. that get single rooms. But we prefer the communal room up front so that you have somebody to depend on, somebody to talk to, somebody who can help you out a bit if you're battered and bruised. Um, And the women build an amazing sisterhood in the time that they're at the shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, You would then, uh, once you're you're calm and you've showered and cleaned up yourself and got dressed up in warm clothing or whatever, uh, we then serve you a meal. It doesn't matter what time of day it is because we don't know when last you've eaten. Um, And the house mother will then tell you the rules of the center. Our social worker on the following day will do biopsychosocial assessments and really see what's going on and which referrals you may need. And then there's also drug testing to see if you're positive for any substances and whether you need that kind of help. Um, if you need psychiatric assistance, we refer you to the, to the clinic um, to get that. Um, and then you get into a program. So our program runs every day and they're busy for most of the day. We have a keep busy policy because we don't want the whole idea that you just come for bed and breakfast and then you sit in the sun for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that you we're up at five each morning, depending on the time of Fajr, um, and the women are responsible for cleaning the shelter. We don't employ a cleaner or cook or gardener mm-hmm. because you love here and that is your contribution. Okay. Um, and so the women then clean the garden and their bedrooms and the bathrooms. Bathrooms are cleaned every day, bedrooms every day, and the garden each day. Mm-hmm. Um, they also do a bit of a gardening course, which we liken to their lives. If okay. you're composting, you're taking all the dirt out of your life. If you plant a seedling, it symbolizes new hope and, and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, once they're done, some of the women will be in another team preparing breakfast, um, and they'll have breakfast before waking the children and serving them breakfast. And then through the day, at 8.30, they have an exercise class, usually some Zumba or some aerobics or even mm-hmm. yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, after 9, the life coaching starts. This ends at 11, at, and then they have a break, and then they have madrasa. They have arts and crafts, jewelry making, sewing, computer lessons. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on each day at the shelter. Mm-hmm.
And these lessons that are being presented to them, are they people that are coming from outside with their um, particular expertise that are donating it or voluntary workers that comes to the shelter to to help these ladies? We have some volunteers who come, um, but we have, uh, as part of our staff, we have a skills officer, um, and she's responsible for exercise as well as um, sewing and design and those sorts of things. If people want to look at our Facebook page, they'll see that we, we sew a variety of shui shui items, which are proudly South African, mm-hmm. made in the shelter by the skills officer and the women. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have a life coach who is contracted to the shelter, and so he um, runs the 90-day program. Um, our social worker does all of the therapy and referrals in-house. As I mentioned before, our rehab component is taken care of by the Sultan Bahu Rehab Center. Yes. Um, yeah, so for the most part, people who do volunteer will come for a period of five or six weeks and offer some sort of skill which the women really enjoy. That's really great. I'm sure they do. And I think the difference is for them to enjoy it in a safe environment, and that would make all the difference. Do you sometimes um, have and have to look after and attend to children who have been abused themselves? And, and um, you know, I'd like to know whether sometimes you would have children who have been sexually abused? Yes, we do have huge challenges with the children. If the children haven't been abused themselves, then they've witnessed abuse. Mm-hmm. And that's quite traumatic because oftentimes of they don't even realize that they've experienced abuse. Mm-hmm. They don't even realize that uh, what they've seen is unacceptable. And we find, for example, that a little five-year-old boy will pick on a little three-year-old girl yes. um, and he'll do it in the way that the perpetrator did it to his mom. Yeah. Um, we have um, had before our social worker was qualified as a play therapist and she would see them now we're referring them to outside organizations. Mm-hmm. It's typical that um, the abused children come in with, with huge amounts of anger um, and frustration. Our staff are all training as counselors to yes. be able to cope with the, the level of um, pain and trauma that people in the shelter are coming along. Coming I'm, sh- I'm sure, I'm sure. Does it, how do you deal with um, the issue of after 90 days when a woman has really um, helped herself to develop you know, internally and has a different sense of self. Is there a bridging period of of interaction with the perpetrator, which I'm sure would, for the most part, be her partner, her husband? Um, does that take place? It does um, from time to time, depending on what the woman wants. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a large part of the time she wants out, um, and we've got to facilitate a period of um, a process of divorce for her. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes you find that the perpetrator is as, let's call it, broken as she is. And so he's, he's quite challenged, too, and we're quite happy to work with him. Oftentimes, perpetrators don't want to be worked with, and they lay the blame at, at her door. Um, the period of stay in the shelter is for six months. And so in the 90-day program, you're working on yourself for 90 days. Mm-hmm. After, after those three months, you've got another three months to work on your children, your family, um, community reintegration and those sorts of things. Yeah. It's not always successful. The women are quite challenged. Some of them are illiterate, um, and so we've got to school them up. For some of them, they've got to go out and look for work, and they can only find menial jobs. They don't pay enough for them to get out of the shelter, and so we're yes. struggling with that too, that at the end of six months, women are challenged to get out of the shelter into their own homes, into 
you know, housing, and many of them have been on the housing waiting list for many years. Yeah. So in that in way, fact, it's usually challenging. Yeah, I'm sure. In fact, you know, on my way to the uh, radio station, I thought that would be one of the questions I'd like to ask in terms of your thoughts of how the community can assist and, and perhaps to speak about the openness. You know, sometimes women who have been abused are also stigmatized by society, so they are looked upon as if they did something wrong as well. And often that hinders that they get help and support that that they are deserving of. Please, could you speak a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you hear comments like, oh, I can tell why you were abused. It's because you're cheeky. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes the families are biased and they say, well, you know, we've had instant instances of, of women who are quite well off, for example, and when they leave, their families say, just go back to him. He gives you a beautiful home and a beautiful car. And what about the children? And as, as a last resort, she comes to the shelter. And when she comes to the shelter, she says, oh, please don't tell anyone I'm here, especially not my family, because all they'll do is come here and convince me to go back to him. Yeah. And you know he's done this and he's done that, and she explains her trauma. Yeah. Um, and eventually when she's ready to meet the family, yes. uh, we'd, we'd ask them to come to the center. And traditionally, the, the, the parents would say things like, well, he's given her everything. What more does she want? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure th- uh, very often the opinion of you have everything, so what on earth is wrong with you? Yeah. Why are you even putting up this big th- scene? And why don't you just keep it, you know, kind of under the carpets as well? Because yeah. we don't want these things spoken about. Yes, and the, the other thing we witness also is um, mothers, mother-in-laws of the, the women in the shelter, so the, the perpetrator's mom yeah. will make excuses for him. And yeah. she'll cover it up for him, and she'll yeah. pay maintenance for the children, and he'll be laying at home, you know, not working. Um, yeah. And so we really do see this thing about men hanging on their mother's apron strings and not willing to take responsibilities for their family. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we literally, we witness the worst kinds of abuses, yeah. and still we find members of the community who are willing to make excuses for, for the, the perpetrator. Yeah, I, I think it's really important that we listen to the content of this program and opinions that you've just expressed, you know, because it is it does impact on people's lives in a very negative way and in a very hurtful and sore way. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and, and perhaps just to speak a little bit about what what are often the, or for the most part, the attitude of the perpetrator when they come to the center and perhaps if the the lady has been there for a while and he then because very often these perpetrators could be very angry how dare you walk out on me and how dare you guys take my wife in or my partner in what what would be the interaction and perhaps and perhaps Nuran to hold the thought because we have to take commercial news when we come back if you can respond to that question stay with us Shahida Kali and I'm speaking with Nuran Osman 
who is the director of the Ihata Shelter for Abused Women, and they are here in the Western Cape. And they are a shelter for women and children who are abused. Um, the question before the break was, why? how do you experience the response of perpetrators of the abuse? And are you able to win them over? My thoughts are always, can we win people rather than lose them? It just, you know, gives us more of a win-win situation. What's your experience of that? I think it's always the same kind of response. Right? It's, it's really typical the first appointment goes pretty badly mm-hmm. um, and he tells me off I, I'm responsible in the shelter for perpetrator intervention yeah. and so he tells me off and he tells me how I'm a feminist and I hate men and that's why I take their women away from them yeah. it's a standard response yeah. um, you know alhamdulillah we grow thick skin already yeah. and we expect it to be really bad not easy no absolutely yeah. and the insults are, are large and we've I'm kidnapped sure. his woman and he will lay a charge against us yeah um, and by the end of the first session he's crying enough tears to know that he was wrong yeah. um, the that's session, that's really really that's really fantastic isn't it because i think because i do similar work i'm able to relate to and can ask you doesn't it take a certain part of you that helps the perpetrator to make that transition to the angry person and, and then to the person who can show some remorse? Yes, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what I get paid for monthly. Yeah. Um, but I really do hope so. Yeah. Our staff are incredibly dedicated to the women and children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's taken a long time for our staff to get used to the notion that we also can share our love with the perpetrators. But yes. alhamdulillah, it, it does it does make a difference at times. Yeah. Um, so by the second session, and this is if it does show up, Mm-hmm. He's willing to now talk about his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And he'll start, though, by talking about her weaknesses. Of what's course. wrong with her, why yeah. she's behaved a certain way. And then we have techniques which we use to encourage them to talk about, to make I statements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll typically hear. If he comes back by the third session, then we're able to then, if she wants, and only with her permission, we'll call her in um, so that they, we can talk together. Mm-hmm. There have been families, alhamdulillah, that have got back together and gone back home and lived happily ever after and even come back to visit with us. Um, But there are also families that say no. Um, There are also women that say no. He says all of these things to you and I'll I'll be back home for seven days and I'll end up back in hospital. Yeah. And and I suppose that is the reality. I think one, you know, when one does this type of work, I don't think people realize just how, you know, from a religious perspective, also we are influenced by the fact that we always try to save marriages. But the reality is if it involves the risk of lives and health and safety of people that you can't always think just of, can we keep this family together and can we keep the marriage together, that it goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that women really struggle with is, one, if there are high levels of violence in, in the marriage. Yes. Um, but we also don't often consider that some women are not physically abused, but they're in fact emotionally abused. Yes. And that the manipulation mm-hmm. and the perpetuation of the lies and the deceit and the betrayal yes. is often too much. And, and, and may I just ask, Nuran, because I think people, it's, it's good for people to hear this. Don't you, look, I'm sure by the time people come to you, they're at the end of their tether, it's the last resort. And don't you find...
find that that often and more so or even well similarly people who have been emotionally abused by the time they get to you it seems as if their life has been ebbing away it seems as if they've been slowly busy dying there in terms of their their um their lease of for life their need to want to live and just be better is just so vulnerable, don't you find? Absolutely. Oftentimes when women get to the shelter, they have nothing left. And this is why the first part of our 90-day program focuses on your past and your pain and what you've lost mm-hmm. and, and all of those. And it, it's a very fragile uh, 30 days, the first sure. one, sure. because they're literally unpacking everything. We have something, for example, called Sacred Circle, yes. where we all sit in a circle yeah. with our life coach and myself, um, and the women come and, and they open up. Mm-hmm. And one woman is almost able to piggyback on the other woman's yes. story because yes. their the experience is so similar. Yes. But when she gets to the shelter, she, she's hit rock bottom, she has nothing left, but she has no, if she's not physically abused, she has no scars to show for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even then, she feels that we may not trust her, we may not believe her story. Yeah. Um, and women often don't even realize that they've been emotionally abused. Isn't it sad that the abused woman often, like you just said, often, often struggles with, will they believe me? Yeah. And and sometimes would say, I wish I had a mark on my body mm-hmm. that I can, uh, f- of as proof of what I've been going through. And that is so deeply sad, isn't it? Absolutely. One of mm. the things I, I often hear our clients say is, um, sort of in contrast to this, is they say, I wish you'd rather have beat me than yes. to have manipulated me, to I, have betrayed me. Yeah. And the other thing our women struggle with is yeah. at the point where they've had absolutely enough and we've tried perpetrative in- intervention, and for example, he hasn't shown up. Yeah. Um, and they decide now to go to, to the MJC or the Imam of their choice and, yes. and get the talaq or the fas or whatever they'll be granted. Yes. They they struggle so with the stigma mm-hmm. um, of, of divorce in our mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. that they are bad because they've left the marriages, that they've yes. traumatized their children because they've left marriages. Yeah. And so I suppose the healing never stops for them. It's one yeah. thing after the other after the other. And don't do you find that society does not make it easier for women who are divorced to acknowledge the amount of courage and how brave she would have had to be to make the decision to end the marriage that would have been very detrimental to herself and often to her children as well? Absolutely. It's yeah. usually challenging. Yeah. Um, we have, for example, oftentimes we... We're very specific about who gets to visit the women in the shelter. Yes. But you'll have the occasional donor who come and, you know, set up a braai and give yeah. the women a, a fancy dinner. And one yes. of the things they'd ask is, well, why did you get divorced? Couldn't yeah. the center help you fix your marriage? Yes. And sometimes I feel like screaming and saying, if you yeah. realize what you've been through, yes. if you realize the risk. I mean, we yeah. had a woman in the shelter, for example, who came yeah. in and she was beaten. Yeah. Then she decided to go home. The yeah. next time she came back, she'd been stabbed. Yeah. yeah, but I also think, you know, what one has to acknowledge that even if the woman gets better or notwithstanding the woman getting better and the perpetrator getting better, it is then the choice of the woman to say, I want, I'm going to go back and give it another chance or not. Because I think, you know, often society leans so heavily. If both of you are better, then the given is you've got to go back. And sometimes all that hurt has just meant that a person has completely outgrown the person and would prefer then to, to be on their own. 
Absolutely. Mm. And and also for our women to realize that there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But yeah. we stand in judgment of it and right. we make comments. And yes. our policy is quite simple when we have conversations with the yeah. women. We never influence them to leave or to stay. Yes. But we do say only you will know because only you share a household with them. Yeah. And, you know, often women sit with guilt because they're made to feel guilty about the decision that they've made. This is so educational, I think, for our community to listen to this program. We need to take commercial news. When we come back, I'd like for us to speak with you a little bit about how can the community assist if you need assistance of any sort. So please stay with us. Don't go away. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. 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 I'm Shahida Kali and I'm speaking with Nuran Osman, who is the director of Ihata Shelter for Abused Women here in the Western Cape. It's actually abused women and their children. Sometimes some of these children abused. Ultimately, you know, children who have been abused, secondary abuse, abuse because they would have witnessed the abuse of their moms or of the yeah, their mothers. Um, I'd like to come back to the fact that we have six minutes left over in the program and I'd like like to ask you, Nuran, to speak with me about that, which which I might not have asked that would be important for you to share with the community. And also, if there is any way in which you would like the community to assist you, that we use the time this time now um, that you're able to speak about that. Uh, thank you, Shada. There, there are multiple things that we require in terms of the shelter. Yes. We have a seven-seater vehicle, um, a little Avanza, which is clearly not big enough. And so for this year, inshallah, is one of our goals to, in some weird and wonderful way, um, uh, uh, secure uh, an 18-seater so that our children can go on outings. Um, because the area where the shelter is situated in is gang-infested, yes. our children get driven to school, our women get driven to the shopping mall yes. and to the rehab centre because we're not willing to risk their lives. Yes. Um, so that's one of the things. But the other things that the community can do is to... Um, one of the things we love most at the shelter is being being invited to family functions. Mm-hmm. These women are so isolated oftentimes and they, they don't have an experience of normal family gatherings. And yeah. so um, there are many families who invite us to like a day at the park and their own family is there and we come as guests and our children get to enjoy the same wow, thing. Wow, that's our women stunning. Get to eat. It's beautiful. And yes. it means so much to the women. They often find themselves in tears. Uh-huh. Um, the community is incredibly generous with donations of food, Mm-hmm. Um, and sweets for the children yeah. and toiletries, which is great. Yes. Um, but then we also need some skills. So if you're able to offer um, a dance class, uh, yeah. it's women only. Um, if you're able to offer, uh, I don't know, craft. Mm-hmm. If you're able to offer to teach the women how to embroider or anything like that. Yes. Um, it makes them more marketable because they, they're course. able to pick up more skills. When we have people who work in corporates who come and offer one evening for one hour a week yeah. just to teach the women how to budget yes. or how to write up a CV. And all of these, these things are incredibly helpful mm-hmm. and useful. If somebody can teach them uh, some form of exercise or yoga or yes. music therapy or art therapy, we yes. appreciate that. The other thing that is also helpful is if 
some of our women are palliative care workers, so they're able to, or home-based carers. Yes. Um, and so if you're able to, to supply them with jobs or opportunities to care for elderly people yeah. um, or internships or learnerships, anything like that. I think, uh, yeah, as you just mentioned learnerships, that should be very, very useful to have, to offer training to these um, ladies for palliative care, isn't it? That would be because they are able to have an income through that. Absolutely. Mm. Um, one of the programs, inshallah, that is coming up in our near future is that we're partnering with a Swedish organization um, and our women will be trained to be doulas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also an interfaith initiative. The Buddhist women have already done it very well in Cape yes, Town. Yes. Um, and we would like to train Muslim women to become doulas. Okay. Um, birthing assistance. And that's also an opportunity for, for them to start their own little business. Right. It's very challenging for them to go into a nine-to-five of job course. without our support. So if they do find work all day, our children are in aftercare. But um, with us or they're in the nursery with us or they're being picked up from school. But when they go back to their families or mm-hmm. extended family, they don't have a network to care for their children. So we look for opportunities and skills that they can implement from home. Yeah. Um, and money that they can make from home while caring for their children. I'm sure. I just wondered whether you also would need um, people to teach them computer skills or so? Our skills officer is responsible for that, and we do have a computer lab. Yes. Um, but if if there are members of the community who would like to come in and, and teach them something more, mm-hmm. we, we're very open to that. And, and, and I'm sure to donate computers? Um, we've had challenges with donated computers because typically people send donations, and this doesn't apply to everyone. It is a generalization. But yes. people will send computers that are past their sell-by date, that okay. are really slow, that don't work very well, or that oh. are broken. The okay. same applies to washing machines and stoves and things. And it's really quite challenging because our sense is if you can't do anything with it, what do you expect us to do with of it? Of course. And of it's course. not that we're ungrateful. Alhamdulillah, yes. we appreciate donations. Yes. But there is this challenge where, where people use the shelter, for example, as a dumping ground. Right. You know, we've had bags of moldy clothing. Well, oh, if you can't shame, wear it, man. our women can't either. Of we course. don't give our women broken clothing. In fact, we don't even ask them to mend it because... Yeah. We want to preserve their dignity. Of course. Um, and so when people donate computers, we prefer that they they are able to work and the women are able to work with them. Right. Um, right now, our computer lab has six brand new computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has, um, I think, eight sewing machines and overlockers, great. all of them new. Great. That's absolutely great. I think I have one more minute over in the program, and I wondered whether you wanted to share a contact number um, for anyone who wishes to support the centre, that they contact you? Absolutely. Uh, our, our landline is 21 mm-hmm. My mobile number is 83 And then our website is www dot irfsa f for fled and s for sugar a dot com okay so it's irfsa mm-hmm. okay my goodness i have been introducing you very incorrectly no mm-hmm. you're absolutely right the ihata shelter is oh, a it program is. It, all right okay okay I because i thought right. i i thought <laughs> i had um you know pronounced it incorrectly because that is how it is presented on my notes it's that it is ihata shelter for abused women and your website is www.irfsa i r for ronnie f for freddy s for sugar a dot co dot z a irfsa no, dot com. 
Oh, dot com. My apologies, dot com. Okay, and then telephone number. The center's number is zero two one six three eight double five seven eight, and the cell phone number is zero eight three seven one two two seven zero three, and that is to speak with Nuran Osman. Nuran, I have to greet you and wish you well, and wish the ladies and their children well. May Allah bless your initiative, inshallah. Okay. All the very best, and shukran for being a part of the show, and assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah for the opportunity. We appreciate when people get to hear about our plight. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And of course, for now, it is just about time for the news at 10. After that will be VOC SOS Helpline with Shahida Kali. And then we respond to you as registered clinical psychologists. Stay with us trauma when you do try to speak with them you have to speak with them in the most gentle of way you know when children are given to you as a gift by Allah as an amana that's your stepdaughters you have to hold their hearts if you win their hearts and you speak with them gently and say bokis as yalla mudder and ik verstaan dit in yalla's lifa if you were to decide to speak with your mother, your biological mother, be careful and mindful what the message would be that you need to give your mother and make dua. I, you know what? I mean, I, I just think that we have to, we have to um, support the idea of mercy because I, I'm reminded by this. Why I sit with the question of why would Allah Ta'ala say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim? Bismillah. Bis the B signifies we needing Allah. Okay? And then Allah's Rahma, Ar Rahman, Ar Rahim. Why would Allah repeat it? Why would Allah give us the, the most merciful, the ever merciful? Why does Allah firstly introduce Allah as merciful? That in my mind, is because Allah wants to remind us of having to be merciful. The first thing you do is you look upon yourself as with a heart of mercy. Because if we want to be close to Allah, then we need to be close to the descriptions and the names of Allah. The f of the first, how Allah describes Allah is mercy. Most merciful, ever merciful. So isn't it for a reminder for us that the first place we go in our hearts is to have mercy. So my thoughts to you are, if you speak with your stepdaughters from a place of mercy, by Allah, I'm asking that Allah guides you as Allah must guide me, that the right words must be in your mouth. But remember that it is very hard to ask a child to cut off a mother. And it's very hard. My thoughts are if every, and I, I know there's an opinion that says cut a person off. My thoughts are always, but if you interact correctly, wouldn't that help? And do we try and try and try? And Allah will give hidayah. Because who langs the ons om recht to kom met goed? Dan sê ons maas en ons familie van ons oor en oor en oor. Diezelfde goed wat ons mee until Allah helps us to give, to get that hidayah. So I'm hoping, inshallah, that I've been helpful in my, in my response to your SMS. And may Allah guide us, inshallah, ameen, may Allah guide us that we do the things that are right, inshallah. 
So I continue with um, the uh, SMSs that I'd received. And this one says, my husband is a womanizer and addicted to Facebook. I feel embarrassed for him and asks for help. And my thoughts are, you know, of course you would have spoken with your husband. Perhaps it's time that you actually get yourself and your husband a little bit of help. Ask if he would go to you with you to a counselor. Because if he's addicted to Facebook, then of course you kind of think, okay, so what is happening on Facebook who is he interacting with? What does he see there? What type of thing does he access? Um, why has it become so needed for him? What is happening to your relationship? So you want to understand the addiction. You want to understand what is it that actually helps maintain that addiction. The more you understand it, the more you're able to actually intervene. But but really, I would suggest that you get a little bit of help because, you know, this particular question, I'm sure is again from the same person get help get help tomorrow you know if you cannot have private therapy go to your nearest clinic ask them to refer you to a psychologist at the clinics you already would have a psychiatric nurse who is trained for mental health difficulties so those are of the thoughts that I would like to share with you and then I have, I've received an SMS last week. This SMS said, why do our Muslim people live so ugly with each other? This is what the SMS said. Why can't they live better with each other? And I, I'd want to say shukran for sending the SMS. I'm grateful for that because it allows us to speak about something that is real. And I'd want to say you know, the person is referring to us Muslims. I think human beings at times will struggle with the way in which they live with each other. And when you look at that, you know, you one can look at, okay, so what can I do to make it better? If, you are, if you're looking at society, it's a large, um, you know, society you're looking at. If you're looking at specific, specific people, if you bring it to a specific person, you're able to ask yourself, is there something I can do to help to change the situation? If it is something that involves you, my thoughts always on, you see this in therapy, if it's a couple counseling or relationship difficulty, ultimately, believe me, it's about self-change. Even um, Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. That's Gandhi's words. And really what he was saying is, if you wish for changes to come about, then live the changes yourself. And in that way, you will positively affect those people who are living with you and around you who cross your path. So, for example, if I would like more loving to be present in the world, let me the, be the person who loves others. And in that way, you are, you are the first person to bring about loving. So when it touches others, it will, it will, it will elicit from them loving responses as well. So think about that. I think certainly people can sometimes help, uh, hurt each other very badly, you know. Um, and we need to look at if the same person keeps on hurting me, 
then I need to look at what is happening, how can I change that, and if it is better for me to boundary myself, then I also need to look at that option. So it's about how best do I protect myself from a person who is um, who is constantly hurting me. We need to be mindful of that as well. I'd like to take a casita when I come back, respond to some of the um, SMSs that I'd received. You know, and it really speaks to our hearts as our heart should be that every one of us should take on the responsibility to heal the world, heal ourselves and heal others and heal the world. If every one of us focus on healing the world, then we cannot go wrong. I want to respond to more of the question of, um, you know, this mother who had um, gone out of the fold of Islam and and also had... um, kind of taken on certain other positions. Um, I want to protect the identity of the children, so I'm not going to give more of the details around this mother. What I do want to say is my, what I'm, I'm, I'm saying, we can be clear about that which is right and wrong, that which, is, which affects others as well as ourselves. So because we are also people who are constantly doing things that are not always the better thing, we have to be mindful how we deal with things when we deal with the, the sins of others, if I want to put it that way. Um, that when we are not engaging in those particular sins can we be careful still that we do not feel arrogant that we must be humble and grateful that the creator has protected us that we are not you know um, engaging in certain sinful behavior so when we approach the issue that we must still approach it from a position of humbleness humility as a human being and also mercifulness as a human being, even whilst we guiding to correct behavior. That's, you know, the way in which I would want to respond to the person who had SMSed again about this mother who had um, gone out of the fold of Islam. If we can, you know, we need, we cannot ever respond from a position. We have to be mindful how we hold the hearts of the children who are innocent victims in this case. So they would have, in essence, lost their mother, which is a huge loss, a huge sore. So these are children whose hearts you have to hold in your hand so gently, speak so gently to them, and be mindful not to debase their mother, but rather to speak about the choices that their mother had made. So you're not going to say your mother is a bad woman. You're going to say your mother is your mother of the choices she has made are choices that Allah will not be happy with. Okay? And so therefore we have to be mindful of that. If you interact with your mother, if if that is the choice, then the children has to be educated about that which is not the preferred behavior of the mother. So we have to still be very, very careful about that. 
I think, um, you know, then I have an SMS that has come through and it says, I'm married for 39 years. I've now found out that my husband is having, um, at mass, well, the, the, the SMS says is busy with my neighbor. Um, the husband is quite an aged person over his 60s. And this, the neighbor is very young and apparently, a, you know, the neighbor is um, a, a prostitute. And um, the husband does not want to talak the wife, but she says she cannot speak, uh, sleep with him in fear of that she could become HIV positive or get AIDS. What, what one wants to say is if you know beyond a doubt that your husband is sleeping with someone else, then of course it is your right of responsibility to protect yourself from infections and also AIDS in HIV infection, hepatitis B infection, other sexually transmitted diseases, STIs as we call them. So, and you have a right to protect yourself against that. You have a responsibility also to protect yourself against it. So if a wife knows that her husband had slept with someone else, you, you know, the wife has the right to say, and even if the wife had an affair, the husband has the right. So each spouse has the right to ask that the faulting spouse be tested for HIV and all of these and all of these diseases. But, you know, and then if you say, well, you know, if let's, for example, say you make up, you don't know your husband's status, HIV status or so. These are the times when wives and husbands could consider that they're going to say, well, unless you test it, we'll have to use a condom because I have to I have to protect myself until we know your status, until we know that there are no STIs that's going around because you have a right to protect yourself. In fact, you have a responsibility to do that. I think if it's really, really made you this sad that, you know, uh, that your husband is betraying you in this way with a neighbor, which is which is very, very sad. Then remember, if your husband refuses to talak you, you could seek advice from an institution like the MJC or Muslim Assembly and discuss it with them so that they can discuss with you other possible options that you have. In the in the event that your husband refuses to give you a talaq, if it is, um, if you have a a case that the ulama will acknowledge, they will certainly give you other options to consider. I really hope and wish everyone well who had uh, responded today. I think it's time for me to greet, and I would want to just share some information of myself, and that is that I'm a registered clinical psychologist. Um, but before I greet, let's first take commercial news, and then I'll say goodbye. I'm from Cape Town. This is the voice of the Cape. The voice. Of